It was really fun to learn some of the names that they could have been. I think caviar was my favourite. <laughs> Me too. That we could have been doing this podcast now about caviar after the screaming stop. My friend guy I was working with at the time was like, Kobe, you have to watch the Frost documentary. I was like, mate, I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> and said, no, no, just watch five minutes. And then I was just kind of hooked in. But it starts with an argument, you know, and they're like getting in each other's faces. You think they're going to have a fist fight all while in the dressing room to get ready to go on this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. I'm Kobe and today I'm joined by Genevieve. Hello. Helen. Oh, hello. Natalie. Hi. And we're going to be talking about Bros when the screaming stops. Thank you as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his editing skills. Please do remember guys to head over to Spotify or and Apple Podcasts to give us a five star rating and a glowing, super shiny review. Do also join the conversation with us on Twitter. We are at FlixWatcherPod or if you prefer Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Genevieve and Natalie. Over to you, please, Natalie, to say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Uh, it always makes me laugh when you say that because it sounds like a game show and I know it's not a game show. Um, well, some ways, maybe. We can get into that later. There are prizes. <laughs> um, I'm Natalie Jameson. I'm a pop culture journalist and a podcast uh, developer, maker, producer. I co-host the Best Sellers podcast, which is where we talk about popular books. Uh, we're very anti-snobbery in that sense. But you also might have heard me popping up on Five Live or Radio 2, Radio 1 back in the day, talking about all things film, TV, theatre, music. Oh, beautiful. Who who did you normally appear alongside on Radio 1? On Radio 1, I was with Joe Wiley and also Fern Cotton. Okay. I was your uh, entertainment news voice. And I still get to do that sometimes with Joe on Radio 2, which is great. Um, and yeah, I kind of feel like this is a, a friendly place to be. Tell them about making cookies for Jay-Z. Oh, yeah. And I, Hold I on a second. I do recognise... <laughs> I do recognise, Natalie Jameson, I do recognise your, your name. Absolutely, I, I apologise for, right. um, yeah, yeah. So back in the like 2003 era, um, I when I went to work, <laughs> they hated me for it, but I used to just have one earphone in like all the time. And it was like, it was Chris Moyles through till Scott Mills um, for for like five years. Amazing. And then there was a gap and, and, there was a gap, and then there's Zane Lowe. Um, so... And I stopped listening to Radio 1 when Zane Lowe left. I was like, I think this is my time nice. now to leave. Yeah, I also yeah, kind I, of I was out left Radio 1 not that long after that. So, yeah. Ah, uh, oh, so hi again from that one earphone. Mm. You would have heard me wittering on about um, lots of things, musicals. And as Jen was just saying, once baked cookies for Jay-Z. Uh, well, we need to know more about that, surely. <laughs> what were the cookies? Uh, chocolate chip. Mm. laced with anything or no just, just, no he oh. ate them as well which you know like I literally saw him eat them uh, that's kind of like rule 101 isn't it like if a fan or a, you know anybody that you don't really know gives you something you don't eat it but luckily I'm very trustworthy and they were delicious cookies and Jay-Z loved them beautiful um, who are you in my bottom left hand side Am I in your bottom left-hand side? Yeah, yeah. I think I've got a different arrangement. <laughs> I'm in the top left, me. Um, <laughs> hello, uh, I am Genevieve and I'm an entertainment journalist and host of 
Celebrity Catch Up, Life After That Thing I Did. It's an unashamedly nostalgic podcast where I chat to the stars of much-loved film, TV and music of the 80s, 90s and early noughties. And we reminisce and talk about how their lives unfolded after that thing they did. Um, And I'm still in shock about it, but uh, the podcast recently won Podcast of the Year at the Independent Podcast Awards, um, as well as Best Film and TV. So my mantelpiece now has two shiny awards sitting on it. And my husband now complains that he has two extra things to dust. (laughs) Well, I mean, tell us to shut up. He's jealous of the awards, (laughs) I think. Yeah, I started to listen to your podcast after that. After you, I was I was there when you got the uh, nomination, sorry, the awards. Um, so congratulations! It's a congratulations. it is a great podcast and a simple, super simple premise. And hey, you got to talk to bubbles. When we haven't we haven't done that yet. So I did. There's, yeah. there's a little bit pang of jealousy there, but yeah, it's a great show. And do guys go and listen to it? I there's one podcast on that night which had the best name ever, uh, and that was Clown Sex. Uh, I've not listened to it yet. And it but, has great artwork too. And it's got great artwork as well. And still haven't listened to it yet, but I will I will get around to it. So uh, there's a big up for Clown Sex and also uh, Celebrity Catch-Up. <laughs> I'm not into the Clown Sex. I'm not going to go there. Have you listened to it? No. Well, don't, don't, dis- don't diss it until you've tried it. But they, you know, it had a great cover. He means don't diss it until you've tried listening to Clown yeah. Sex. Don't just, to, yeah. just to clarify. Yeah. Clown Sex. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's that's yeah. Thanks for the. Maybe you could a, try clown sex. I don't know. What what, what podcast has this turned into? Um, we're here talking today, Genevieve, about um, about Bros after the screaming stops. First, before we go into this, I think we're all a similar kind of age group. So I think this sometimes me and Helen are here with people who are just almost like literally been born, and to mention Bros to them would be like I don't know what you're talking about. So. Um, when you said 80s, 90s and, uh, 90s and noughties, I think already potentially on the similar kind of age range. Um, but can you tell us, first of all, Genevieve, why you chose this film and uh, give us a synopsis, if there is one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. Uh, so I I had a scour on Netflix to find a film that was tied to one of the guests that I've had on Celebrity Catch-Up. Um, and it was either Stuart Little <laughs> or uh, or After the Screaming Stops. Uh, but I had Luke guest on uh, the podcast in my second season. And uh, so I thought this film would be perfect. Um, and also I thought it'd be interesting because the director of this film film, Joe Palman also directed the recent Robbie Williams Netflix documentary series, as well as the Lewis Capaldi Netflix documentary. Uh, so it's kind of topical at the moment. So just remind us, is Luke the drummer or the singer? Luke is the drummer. <laughs> the disdain across all your faces here. Uh, were you guys brossettes before we go into the, the synopsis? I'm, I was not. Uh, I was seven when Bross came out. So while I appreciated the music, I was too young to, um, I was going to say, have fanny flutters, which people probably <laughs> had when they were 13. <laughs> Is that a thing? They were a little bit older. My, my Lord. I'm, I'm afraid I've watched Love Island one episode too many. Um, <laughs> um, I Yes, I was a bit too young to have those feelings, those lustful feelings over Bross. Uh, so no, I wasn't. Nat, uh, but I mean, just to, I mean, without using that that double F alliterative word you just phrase you just used there. Um, I mean, I guess I just generally mean where you're a fan of Bros. I guess Brossette kind of meant you went to the the gigs and stuff. Um, I was too young to be a Brossette. Um, <laughs> sorry, 
you, uh, Natalie and Helen, were you fans of Bross when when they first came out? I was a fan of pop music, so by default yeah. I was a fan of Bross, but they weren't like kind of my favourite of that genre. I was very much into Gloria Estefan. No, Gloria Estefan around that time. And yeah, like I kind of, I I would absolutely dance to it if it was on, like, you know, I Owe You Nothing, I think I liked. I also really like that song Sister. I think I bought the single for Sister actually. Um, yeah, and I once met them when I was really little as well, because my dad was doing some work um, and they were there, but... <laughs> just, just appeared out of nowhere. I, I, I started to say that, I was like, do I really want to say this out loud this early on? Sure. And now I've just opened my big mouth. So in a nutshell, uh, my dad uh, is still around. He was a musical director, a piano player, arranger, um, and he was Des O'Connor's musical director. Oh, so wow. when I was a kid, I used to go hang out on set of the Des O'Connor TV chat show. So I, I met do. some many greats <laughs> when I was very little and Bross were among them. Uh, so that was very exciting for me, less so for them. We're 100% at the same age range. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Helen, were you, were, you, were you a fan of Bross? Um, no, I they. I mean, I, I remember the song and... The song? I, Which yeah. one? I mean, the two songs I, well, I, I do I, I remember. Well, I just name but... three, so Helen, which ones are you going with? <laughs> <laughs> the one you haven't named checked. <laughs> when will I be famous? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, they, I think they were fine. I, I was more into Kylie and then Queen a little bit. So, yeah. I, But I have met people who were brossettes and it's very strange uh i no they, they weren't they i didn't have them on my wall i think that's a a thing if if you pull them out the posters out of smash hits and put them on your wall then that was a sign that you were a fan fast forward magazine for me one of my neighbors when i told her that i was speaking to luke she got all a bit giggly she's like oh my god i was a massive brossette and she had the ripped jeans and the leather jacket and the Grosch bottle top caps. I was going to say the Grosch thing, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. she was really heavily into into Bross. Yeah, I I, I guess I I knew the songs, the two songs. (laughs) And this this documentary was like, oh, so they had lots more. And actually they were pretty huge in a way that I didn't comprehend at like six or seven, um, in a way that I thought only Michael Jackson wasn't. The, the fact that they shouldn't Michael Jackson is hilarious to me and in ways that I can't really comprehend. But anyway, sorry, tell us the synopsis. You've got 60 seconds, Genevieve, uh, to tell us what happens in this documentary. And the timer starts now. Okay, so um, After the Screaming Stops follows Matt and Luke Goss, famous, of course, back in the 80s for being two thirds of the pop group Brass uh, in the run-up to a special one-off reunion concert at the O2 Arena, almost 30 years since their last performance at Wembley Stadium and the band breaking up. And as well as showing their final preparations for the concert, it also goes into the history of the group and gives a warts and all view of Matt and Luke's fractured relationship. Yeah, nice. Um, You said, I think it was a very important thing to say straight away, the two-thirds, because they... They mention the bass playing one, the one with dark hair, like once, and then after that the he's one, in, no he's in, he's name. in the screen a few times. But after that, they never reference him at all. I always thought it was a bit. Um, I always felt sorry for him. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, I wouldn't do. He's like gone on to be a uh, 
an artist manager, I think, doesn't he? Doesn't I don't know if he still does manage Anastasia, but that was one of his, I think. Yes, he mm. does. Yep, still does. Yeah. Is she still relevant? If yeah. you want to know what she's doing now, I had her on the podcast last season. <laughs> You're welcome, Jen. Craig. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. And Craig. And Craig is her manager. And I, yeah. I spoke with Craig to get her on the podcast. <laughs> um. So, I mean, guys, whether you like, I, I just, I had no idea what Bros were like before. This is the second time I've watched this documentary, but I had no idea what they were like as as people. And to me, they, I don't know, bonkers kind of sums it up. Natalie, is that fair? Is that a fair assumption? Was that what, is that what you remember from when you were kids with on the Desert Planet Tonight <laughs> show? I think I've overplayed that already. Um, so... <laughs> uh... I was an avid reader of Smash Hits and I don't think I got that side of the the Bros mm. boys from Smash Hits. Um, but I think it's kind of fascinating re-watching it. So I watched it when the documentary first came out and then I re-watched it again today, actually, ahead of this recording because I wanted it to be really fresh. And I remember, oh, it's, it's, it kind of, it's, it leaves me with like sadness and joy at the same time because that sibling rivalry between them is intense. And I just wanted to mention like the opening shot is like a close up on both of their faces um, separately. And the first face that you get in close up in kind of high definition is Luke Goss. And I just wondered how much they might have wrangled between who actually got the first shot in the film, <laughs> because, you know, they probably did. I mean, yeah. Genevieve, when you spoke to when you spoke to the drummer one, Luke. Um, <laughs> was this before or after the documentary first came out? It was after. Okay, so did, did we reflect on it at all? In uh, basically, guys, as you're listening now, go to uh, Celebrity Catch Up and download the Luke Goss episode and listen to that. And then anything that Genevieve says now will be um, obviously you'll know you'll know more than me and Helen know right now because this is something we've not listened to, but we will do as soon as this recording finishes. But carry on, Genevieve. Yes, we talked uh, a bit about the concert. So we were talking about, uh, like, in terms of, like, the, the the preparation up to the concert, the 10-hour days he spent drumming, rehearsing. He said that he lost five pounds of body weight every day through sweat, just through, like, drumming constantly all the time. All the blisters he got from doing because he hadn't done it for so long. There'd be mm. blood splattered on the drum kit. Um, and I did ask him about, cause I was surprised that it's such a warts and all view of their relationship. You would expect typically, I mean, obviously we know it now with like Robbie Williams documentary, he's, his whole thing was he wants to show this, you know, the negative side of stuff. But I think, you know, the, the time when this documentary came out, it probably wasn't as common for no. it to be so raw and to show this kind of negative side to people and um and I was thinking like you know wow that's I'm surprised that they would have signed off on this especially like the the opening scenes of the documentary starts with an argument you know and they're like getting in each other's faces you think they're gonna have a fist fight all while in the dressing room to get ready to go on this morning (laughs) 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 where everyone wants to have a a, it did really make me want to like google that this morning appearance yeah. I still haven't done just to see like try and get the body language after that argument yeah. um but I did say to him it's like you know wow well, how did you feel coming into this and keeping all this stuff in and he said anything other than the truth would be misleading so that's why he wanted to do it and and I think also the other reason why I wanted to speak to Luke rather than Matt is because you got this real sense from the documentary that he is 
Matt was always the one that everybody loved. He was the front man. He was the singer. Luke was in the back. He was the drummer. People thought he was the spare. Like he didn't really have anything to offer because he didn't sing. Matt was the front man. Matt did everything. Um, And that comes across when you speak to him as well, talking about that time in their rise to fame on their first album, although he played drums on that first album, he didn't play drums on it. They oh, had, oh, yeah, yeah. they had, um, yeah, drum beats that, that, that did it. And he said that he just felt like he lost everything. He came into this band as the drummer and then on their first album, he didn't even get to play on it. Um, but then in the second and third albums, they fought for him to play because he, he was a live drummer and, and you do get that sense that he has been burned by his experience in the band and the negative press that they received I guess it's very typical of the British press that we like to build someone up on the way up and then we like to tear them down after and the amount of hate that they received was crazy death threats Luke touches a bit in that in our chat talks about like death threats he's had crazy to have on one side loads of screaming girls where the Mm -hmm. police have got to come to because Oxford Street is suddenly rammed full of hormones um and they've got to deal with it to then suddenly actually there's a, a bomb threat don't get off a plane you know it's just crazy well quite like what i thought was interesting is um like, like you say i think this is i'm not sure if it's uh kicked off the the trend for for these documentary of people in pop culture um but when i was watching the i watched the one one um, which I thought was really interesting, and that was I was quite surprised at how amicable everything was between the, Andrew Ridgely and and George Michael, to the fact that Andrew Ridge is like, look, dude, you do your thing, you take over, you have careless whisper by yourself, you I'll I'll take a step back and just like chill out for for, for a few decades, um, and I I kind of well, I thought that was almost going to be the same for the Bros one because I thought you know they're brothers, they might have some spats, but also. You know, they've lived together since, you know, in the womb. But it was quite interesting to see that that was so not the case. And the way that they fought for like Andrew Ridgely to to play music on the albums and stuff like that was not the way they fought for, for Luke's drum on Bross. And it's really interesting how, how the industry does just favour things or disfavour things or, or just tries to chew people up and spit them out or just uses people as puppets for, for their money-making schemes. It's really... Um, unsavory in that respect but it's interesting how different bands take that or different groups or different sets of people um how they experience different things and then like the another one i watched recently is a sly sylvester stallone one where they just didn't want him to be anywhere near the camera uh essentially unless he was a thug and it was like no no i'm i've written rocky this is for me and um no 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 here's half a million dollars i will just buy it off for you and he's like no i'm gonna i'm gonna do it um so the industry is, is then is horrible. I don't think it's probably that much better, I guess, but uh, it's interesting how this is coming to the front, front in these documentaries. Um, Helen, have you seen any of these documentaries apart from the Bross one? Robbie Williams, was he one of your people? No, I'm, I wasn't really a Take That fan. Um, I'm not sure about <laughs> the Robbie one. Ladies but Natalie is just... Uh, <laughs> A little bit of Natalie's dying inside. <laughs> wait, 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 what? What are those words? I'm not much of a Take That fan. I didn't... Uh, there's a rip yeah. in the time space continuum. I'd moved on to uh, indie by then, but um, they they can coexist. Can I just say I was a massive indie kid as well? You know, it's room for everyone. Because <laughs> um, I do like George Michael, and I 
I've got a bit of a soft spot for him. But I mean, what we've said so far um, kind of gives this impression of this quite serious sort of deep sort of mining the depths of emotion and going into some dark places. But I would just like to read out something <laughs> that happens quite early on. Quite early on, Matt Goss says, the letters H-O-M-E are so important because they personify the word home. <laughs> this kind of sets the tone for the documentary. There's there's some other, I mean, there's many. Um, Matt, again, Rome wasn't built sing, in a day. The singing one. And, and, and fuck me, that's true. But we don't have the time that Rome had. So this, this is just a taster. I mean, you get don't to Don't forget, find... don't forget the English conquer crisis. <laughs> well... <laughs> I was maybe going to leave leave that for for people who haven't quite got there, but there's, there's that, one, should, that one that, TV moment of the year that we can't ignore that. And now we can't play fucking conquers in in the UK. Uh, I mean, you can. You can what? Sorry, you can play conquers, but it was it's quite an opener, and also it was really fun to learn some of the names that they could have been. I think caviar was my favourite. <laughs> Me too. That we could have been doing this podcast now about caviar after the screaming stop. I mean, <laughs> we, li- we liked, um, it was epitome, except, except they showed epitome written on the screen, but they said epitome. <laughs> Mockumentary-esque, isn't it? There's also a, a, paint, a painting of his bulldog as well. Now, yeah. holding a that, bear. That would be normal, but... <laughs> He had him painted holding a pint of beer. This, <laughs> this is not, it wasn't quite the, the documentary experience I was watching. I, I didn't really know what to expect. I thought it'd be a fairly bog standard, but from the start, you're like, this is going to be different, I feel. <laughs> and I think that's what's brilliant about this documentary is that you might go into it for the nostalgia if you're a Bross fan, but you do not have to be a Bross fan to watch this film whatsoever there's this bigger story about the relationship between two brothers and it's so it's so interesting my husband reluctantly watched it with me and he was like oh you know he didn't care about brass and he's like oh, I don't know but then he, but he sat with me and he enjoyed it by the end he was like oh that was really good because he can you know he's got a brother and he empathized with the, the the brother relationship and the rouse and living in your brother's shadow and all that kind of stuff and I'll I'll save my conclusion for the recommendation scores, but that's all I'll say. <laughs> I do I do want to pick up the, the the conquer sequence is still one of the things that makes me wake up laughing sometimes. <laughs> I've seen, I saw this two years ago, at least two years ago when it first came, maybe three years ago because I think it's pre pandemic. And my friend guy I was working with at the time was like, "Kobe, you have to watch the Bross documentary." I was like, "Mate, I can't think of anything worse." <laughs> and said, no, "No, just watch five minutes." And then I was just kind of hooked in. But that scene where they revisit their their, their childhood home and said, "Our favorite toy was a dart," <laughs> <laughs> and we throw it up in the air. <laughs> And we had to we had to play chicken until you, the, the person to move last lost. And one day, the dart stuck in my rib. I was like, "What the hell are you talking about?" And then Granddad pulled it out, and they threw it. They started chucking it about again. And that's when the con- and it's like, "But you can't play with conkers." And what are you hell? What? And it was what's the what point? kind of nonsense is like, this? Yeah. <laughs> what, what's the next logical thing? So let let's bring back the conkers and give kids darts to lob around, like. <laughs> Anyway, my favourite um, uh, quote from Matt, because as you say, there are many, was the news is the thinking man's reality show. 
Just let that sit for a minute. <laughs> my my favourite one from Matt was um, I made a conscious I made a conscious decision because of Stevie Wonder to not be superstitious. <laughs> Yeah, I wrote that one down as well. I think the thing with like, um, I, what's so fascinating about this documentary, and I think the best documentaries are when you don't know what you're going to get, right? Because I think a lot of us probably know and watch lots of things now where they've almost already written a story arc for a documentary before they've done any interviews. And I'm not interested in that. I want to see what people say. And then you kind of let that lead you and, and see where it's going to take. And I think yeah. that Matt Goss, my reading of it anyway, um, the singing the one. The singing one. <laughs> the lead singer. <laughs> the younger twin, although he feels he acts like the older twin a lot of the time, um, is that <laughs> he is that ideal definition of the hero of his own story in that everything he relates to in life, he relates to himself. And it's almost done without malice, if you see what I mean, because he, he can't, he doesn't know how to be any other way. But when you pl- place somebody like that in any kind of real world environment, it's just so bizarre i mean I, some of the arguments they had in rehearsal oh the pyro that was a brilliant <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it got the proper hump with like the drum one taking the piss out of him um which is that would that i think that would be a low level insult in any of the comments but he really took that to heart didn't he and that really like going going wild but when when uh, the drummer one was trying to have his like hey can you just hold on you wait five. You wait a beat before you come in because I think it'll sound really good, and no one, no one else wanted to do that. I thought that was really tense because it seemed like everyone, all the musicians were on Luke's side straight away for some. They kind of, they kind of done that thing where they've despised the weak and the stronger one, and they, and they sided with the stronger one in there. And I thought that was really harsh in a way, uh, but also it was kind of hilarious for our purposes to watch it. I felt I just felt it was like a Christopher Guest documentary a lot of the time and some of those lines you've said I'm like I don't know how does that happen do people really say that because they're not stupid but also the <laughs> it could have been you know, know outtakes from pop star never stop yeah. never stop yeah it could have been which I, I, be, I yeah. love and it's I think the issue is that Matt went to Vegas right and he got his own show and he's lived in a world where people don't say no to him and he's had every women indulged and it's made him this person so the world probably sees him as mad as a box of frogs and that you know that's that's what he's like is there anything else you want to say before we head to the scores guys um i was just going to say i think what's fascinating about this documentary and also the robbie one which as you said jen is from the same um director is that validation that they're all seeking from the british press and again i'm no psychologist but um I just think it's kind of weird that the press, certainly at those times when it was a lot harsher in the 80s and 90s, was almost like the some weird like remote parental figure where they're kind of trying to seek approval from the parental press, if you like, when they've got so much like love and support from people around them and fans and people loving and telling them they're great the whole time. And yet it's just like that one thing they're still looking to be validated by the press and... I don't know, I find it fascinating that that's so prevalent in both the Bross documentary and the Robbie one too. Um, before we go into the scores, actually, uh, what, how many of these other recent kind of spates of documentaries have you seen? I've talked about the one one, Arnie, Arnie's got one, Beckham's got one. Um, are these, 
are you enjoying this generally? Are you interested when they come out? What's your kind of thoughts on them as they as they appear? Helen? Uh, I haven't seen any of them. I mean, I might be tempted <laughs> to the Arnie, Arnie one, maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's how... I've, I've seen some of the bits, some of the best bits from the Beckham one, uh, which look quite entertaining. And I'm a big fan of um, Amy, the Amy Winehouse one, uh, Asif Kapadia's Amy. Yeah, that's not... That's not- that's not one of these ones, is it? No. This is when, yeah. So that's obviously I mean, an Oscar I, winning. I mean, yeah. I don't mind watching an hour and thirty-seven minutes of Bros. I'm not going to sit down and watch eight episodes. I don't think of of a story. I think there's you've got to really, really, really be into it. I think this film may not have won any Oscars, but it did win a BAFTA. Did it? Yes. <laughs> so. Lunacy. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts, Jen and Natalie, for? This this recent spades of it has literally it's been a, in the in the past year that's just popped up loads of them. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I have watched most of them, um, but then that's kind of like the work I do as well. Like I, you know, I've always loved popular culture, and you know, I I sort of love seeing the documentaries, but I am always quite fascinated because often again because of my job, not because I'm, well I am a geek, it's fine, um, because I know quite a lot about some of these stories I always think it's fascinating what's left out of the documentaries and you know the this is people telling their story from their perspective so it's already sort of biased in one way if you like um and I think what works so well with the Bross documentary is because it does seem to still be so raw and that sibling relationship and those arguments happen and they signed off on it and they were fine with it and their end conclusion is like Yep, you know, but like we're still brothers and this kind of brought us back together, <laughs> even though we hated each other for a lot of it. It's that's kind of fascinating. And uh, it doesn't feel like there's any artifice in that, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. I was gonna say, maybe they've got less less to try and sell in that they're kind of, you know, they at that point they were doing kind of the comeback tour, but had kind of sort of. Comeback made, gig. Yeah. Singular. Well, gig, yeah. Because what happened to those other dates, we'll never know. But I guess it depends where you are in, in that career path and whether this is, you know, the documentary is like a stepping stone to something or whether it kind of feels like a bit of a public therapy session for them both really and a bit of a chance to, you know, talk about like being made to kind of perform and be public when they'd experience personal tragedy and things like that. Whereas it's not them going, you know, we're ready, we're back in action, like come bookers or anything like that. I wondered how much it cost to just put on this one show. Mm. <laughs> With the pyro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, as as that says, you know, kind of the, the same. As an entertainment journalist, you kind of end up watching all these documentaries as, as, because you have to be across them all. Um, and and I guess linked to my podcast, because it's nostalgia as well, I, I have this other interest in it because a lot of them are going down this nostalgia route. And I think that's just, you know, nostalgia is just quite popular at the moment coming out of lockdown. At least I found that nostalgia was very popular around that time because in times of uncertainty, people turn to things that bring them comfort and nostalgia is that thing. So that's why people were rewatching all these old box sets and suddenly all these rewatch podcasts turned up. Everyone was turning to something that made them feel safe and secure. And and I think that's why all these things are sprouting out of nowhere now um, to making us remember the, the the better times when things were simpler and we were younger and we didn't have <clears throat> bills and mortgages and all those things to worry about. Well, on that bombshell, let's head to, to the scores. <laughs> 
Hello, I'm Martin. I'm Sam. And every week we get together on our podcast Song by Song to discuss the music of Tom Waits. Uh, Waits is a writer, musician and performer. Uh, You might know him from his four decades of songs like uh, What's He Building In There, Downtown Train, Martha, Rain Dogs. Or you might have seen him in films like Dracula, uh, The Fisher King, uh, The Mm. Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Or, if you made it that far, licorice pizza. We're joined every week by guests from various backgrounds and disciplines, and together we take a close listen to his work, analysing the topics and tones he uses in his music, and honestly engaging with one of the most interesting voices of his generation. Listen to our latest season or dive into our back catalogue by visiting songbysongpodcast.com or search for Song by Song in your podcatcher of choice. So welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. They are always out of five and you can have decimal places if you wish. And we'll start with you, please, Genevieve, with your recommendability. Okay, so um, I'm going to give it five. And I still maintain that you do not need to be a Bross fan to watch this. Kobe, as you said, somebody said recommended it to you, said you had to watch it and you were like, no, and you still watched it and, you know... (laughs) You still watched it <laughs> rather than not watching it. Uh, so I think everyone can watch this. It's more than a film about brass. It's a film about the relationship between two brothers. And I think everyone can identify with that. Nicely. I was going to go with a solid four, but I might bump it up to 4.5 uh, because I just think it's fascinating that, as you say, I think Bross might have passed quite a lot of people by. Obviously, he went around at the time because they're not like, take that as in they're not played on the radio still they're not kind of streamed or talked about as yeah. widely so you know i think it's a, like it's a good even. bit of pop culture knowledge to <coughs> get across although i would add that now that matt goss was on strictly yeah last year and luke goss is an actor now and stuff i think maybe there might be on the radar of younger people now so maybe that but, has attraction for them too but the drummer one's been an actor for a while hasn't he, he was in Hellboy, one of the blades Hellboy, yeah. for example Hellboy, yeah. yeah, yeah. Blade 2. And it, yeah, because it start, the film starts like, Guillermo del Toro loves him. And I was like, well, which films has he been in recently? <laughs> he did at the time. <laughs> uh, Helen? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a solid four. Uh, it's not the documentary that you're expecting. So if you haven't seen it, like, I don't think there's any way that it can really prepare you for what it is. I don't, I think that definitely for us, having grown up around Bross and kind of had that knowledge of them and the songs when we were growing up and how pop culture was then and kind of grown a little bit with them and kind of seen them sort of go into obscurity and then come back a little. Um, I'm not sure whether someone who's never heard of them and perhaps quite a bit younger would kind of get the same enjoyment that we've had out of it. So um, I still think it's very enjoyable, but I'm, I'm, I can't give any more than a four. Uh, I'm going to put, yeah, because because I was recommended it, a hard recommend. Um, and then when I told people on Facebook at the time, like, I've just watched the Bross documentary, loads of people piled in and was like, mate, how funny is it? Um, so it is one of those ones where I think you, if someone's balks at it and if they've, if they've known Bross, and I think that's a fairly large caveat that Helen said there. If you have no idea who Bross are, I think this this will just be a story of two um Two twin, I don't know, I don't know what words you... Incredibly good looking for 55, like whatever... Are they 55? Is, is a whole year? Oh, wow. Is, you know, that can't be sniffed at. Like, <laughs> they're, they're looking very healthy for 55. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, rec- I would be a hard recommend. So I'm going to go for 4.3. 
Genevieve, repeat viewing score. I'm going to go for a four with uh, the caveat that it's... So I watched this originally... so 2019 when it came out on because the first time it was out kind of buried away on BBC4 and then it kind of went viral for all the memes for all the things we've been talking about Uh, and then they put it on BBC2 and then I saw it then so um, and then I hadn't seen it again until uh, last weekend in preparing for this and I think watching it again I there were some things that I'd, it, I was like, I'd forgotten how funny some bits of it were and the disbelief that, oh my God, they, they've said this and they've kept this in. Um, so, uh, and, and I enjoyed watching it a second time. So I think it's definitely got re- uh, repeatability, but I would caveat that you, it's not something that you would watch like every couple of months or once a year. You, you need a little gap between it to appreciate it again, but you definitely can watch it a second time and get something out of it that you didn't the first time. So was it four? Four. Natalie? I think I would give it a three because I similarly, I, I saw it when it first came out. I was actually, um, I don't want this to sound wanky, but um, the the freelancers lament, right? So this came out, it was part of the London Film Festival actually in 2018. Yeah. How was it? And because okay. um, I am that geek that scours the brochure, I was like, oh, that sounds fascinating. And um, it was part of that. And I could not get a story away on it. I pitched it to so many places and nobody was interested because Bros were not on anybody's radar then. Um, and I was like, seriously, like, you know, like we've all been saying, you've just got to watch it. You've got to hear what they say. It's it's so funny. Um, uh, and then I haven't seen it again since I rewatched it for this. And like you were saying, Jen, there were lots of bits I'd forgotten, lots that made me laugh and smile. But I think I'd watch it for a little bit if it was on again. But I don't think I'd kind of keep going back to it again and again. So what's that score? Three. Three, sorry, yeah. Helen. So I thought it was much more recent. Like I don't I don't remember it coming out at all. Just not but the fact that it was maybe buried on TV probably didn't really help. So this was my uh first time watching it. I don't think it's gonna be one that I'm gonna watch a lot, but I think I probably would watch it again and would definitely kind of try and watch it with someone who hasn't seen it before, just to try and like see their reaction. And I think because it's just so bizarre and some of the things they're kind of coming out with kind of pass you by I think I probably would revisit it just to kind of you know enjoy it and kind of go yeah they did say that although kind of the end they kind of drag out the rehearsals a little bit so um I, I'm gonna go for a three as well for this one unusual for a documentary I'm gonna go for 2.5 now I don't think I would have watched it again if it hadn't been suggested here uh not to say not to say it was a chore um, there's some documentaries which I'll, I'll never ever watch again. Please, please say um, which ones. I enjoyed them. I think it's like the act of killing. Oh, um, haven't seen that one. Doesn't sound like one that's yeah, for me. No, it's not. I mean, it's, it's not. It's, it's fascinating, but not not a pleasant watch. Um, but this um, it was an easy watch, and I was waiting for the conquer bit. I was waiting for the fights that happened in the restaurant and in, in the rehearsals. I was waiting for you know. Op- little bits to happen in a way you, you would do for for like a standard narrative film in a way you're waiting for the best bits to happen <laughs> but 
But uh, I don't think I'll watch it that often. Um, so yeah, 2.5. Small screen score. Genevieve. Uh, I think this is quite high because uh, it, it it doesn't need to be watched on a big screen. Uh, this did have a cinema release, um, a very limited cinema release before it went to uh, TV. Um, and it's definitely something that you can watch on the small screen, laptop, tablet, <laughs> phone, <laughs> and you don't lose anything at all. Um, I guess when it comes to the concert bit at the end, you might appreciate it on a big screen to get that big kind of you know arena feel of being you know concert show um but otherwise i think it's perfect for the small screen so i think that's like a 4.5 Natalie, yeah similar i think i'd give it a four for small screen watchability because it's all about what they're saying that is the best stuff of this documentary you know and you can kind of you can catch those matisms uh luke has a few um but Matt's are probably more memorable, maybe. Oh, I feel like we're playing into their narrative of the sibling rivalry. I didn't mean to do that. Um, but yeah, so I think the small screen is is fine. And what was that score, sorry? Four. Sorry, I don't know. I keep missing these scores. Helen. <laughs> yeah, so like there's, there's nothing about this film that says I need to be seen on the big screen. But like how fun would this be to watch mm. with a full cinema with half the people who've got no idea about Ross and the other half are like... I was there and I screamed and I kissed one of them. Like, how much fun would that be? How much fun to go back in time and to create a screening for that? Um, so that's not going to happen. So I think for the benefit of it, I'm going to give it a five because it's on it's on TV and it's it's made for that. But how fun would that screening be? Yeah, I, I like the idea of watching it in a cinema with other people, but I think they'd have to have known who Bross works. Otherwise, I think half the half the audience would just be like, "Who are these weirdos?" Um, I think the, a bit of context there. Uh, so people like myself who know who Bross were, sang some of the songs, would have danced to them at university when they did like an eighties night when when you know, when when will I be famous comes on. But also think they've got no interest in watching the documentary. I think that's the the perfect niche of other people. I'd love to see watching this at the same time um engagement so i've gone for five there for small screen score um engagement score genevieve uh so if we're we're talking your strict definition of how difficult would it be to turn it off once you started watching it um yeah i mean you said yourself the first time you you watched it you didn't think you were going to like it and you had to keep watching. And I think that's, you know, as I said, you don't need to be a Bross fan. My husband proved that. He thought he wasn't going to like it and then got totally engrossed in this wider story of of sibling rivalry. Um, and I think, you know, if you weren't a Bross fan and you couldn't be convinced to watch it, you wouldn't be watching it anyway. So you wouldn't even factor on the engagement score. So mm-hmm. this is purely for people that are watching it. I think it's, it's so engrossing. It's so interesting to watch this relationship. Um, I'm going to give it a 4.7. Natalie? Yeah, I'm kind of mulling over this one because my initial thought was that I could probably, you know, I have power over my own mind. I can switch it off if I want to. Like, it's it's not like a typical uh, film in that way where you're kind of waiting for the next scene or the next big action sequence or you kind of, there are nice vignettes all the way through it. Um, But then, you know, repeat viewing it today I was locked in I was I was kind of there for the duration so maybe it should be a bit higher than I was initially giving it credit for um and I also would really like to see like 
you know, my daughter's uh, just turned 15 and I'd love for her to watch it actually and kind of see her engagement in it. Um, but I, th I think even if you don't know the characters, you would be hooked by what they're saying, even if you didn't know anything about them. So I'm going to give it a 3.7. Helen? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a 3.5. Um, I could not resist the urge to hit Wikipedia while I was watching it and be like, how old are they? This is very mysterious. And then kind of ended up in that whole sort of wormhole of Wikipedia and finding out, oh, they lived in Lewisham. Like, oh, that's interesting. And all of those kind of things while I was still watching it. So a 3.5. Yeah, I think for, for first viewing, it's, it's probably a five. Second viewing, I was kind of waiting for the... Uh, for the uh, the snippable social media conquers, uh, yeah, those kind of bites. Um, so I'm going to go for a four overall, and that gives us an overall score of four point oh four three seven five, which for a, for a documentary or for any film, yeah. that's that's a decent score. That's a decent score, but for a documentary, I think that's that's got to be up there, uh, certainly. So we had a tweet, didn't we? Did indeed. Yeah, everyone do follow us on Twitter. We are at FlixWatcherPod. Uh, follow us because we do chat about stuff on Netflix just generally and films also. Uh, but also you can interact with us when, we put, when we're about to record a podcast episode. Uh, look out for a tweet saying something similar to this. We're watching Bross After the Screaming Stops with uh, Genevieve from CelebrityCatchUpPod.com and at Nat Jameson. Have you seen it? Tell us your thoughts and your score out of five stars from On Air Shout Out on this podcast. Uh, so we had one, I believe, uh, Genevieve. Yes, it's from Retro Ramble Blog, and they said, Entertaining madness. At times, you wonder if it's actually a parody written by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. Four out of five. Quite similar to our score, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, perfect. Natalie, Genevieve, can you tell them where we can find you online and say goodbye to the listeners? Hi, it's Natalie. Um, I am. You can find me with the bestsellers podcast where hopefully we'll encourage a love of reading, but also we do quite a lot of film adaptations on there as well. Um, so we've had various people uh, from Lee Child to Jodie Pico to Linda LaPlante uh, to Dawny Walton. You can discover new books as well. Um, so on Twitter, because uh, that's what it will always be called in my brain, I'm just <laughs> at Nat underscore Jameson and Jameson is J-A-M-I-E-S-O-N and on Insta, which I'm relatively new to because I put all my eggs in the Twitter basket full of a took. Um, <laughs> on Insta, I'm just at Natalie Jameson because I got it early, uh, but then I just never did anything with it. Genevieve? <laughs> Uh, and you can find me, hear me at um, Celebrity Catch Up Life after that thing I did. Uh, it's celebritycatchup.com or just search for Celebrity Catch Up on these social platforms and you should find me. But yeah, come check it out. We've had um, great guests, uh, you know, if we're talking film stars, Alan Ruck guested on the podcast. We reminisced about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Leah Thompson came on to talk about Space Camp and Back to the Future. Uh, Rose McGowan came on to talk about Scream. Judd Nelson reminisced about the breakfast club i blushed hard during that interview because it was i mean it was in the middle of summer and i had i couldn't open a window or put a fan on because it would have ruined the mic but I, it was boiling but i was like had a massive crush on him um and uh, thankfully our cameras were off so he couldn't see me literally sweating uh nick frost dexter fletcher stars from american pie clueless police academy that's a very big range come and have a listen fantastic yeah i'll 
definitely recommend that everyone do that. Um, and we'll oh, thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure to talk about the bros uh, with people, with sane people. Uh, and we'll, sp- we'll see you all later. Thanks for coming out. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Rockwood Audio's editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them FlixWatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.